Well, good evening. Glad to join you again. Uh, let's open our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to look at chapter 18 tonight, but uh, it's a fairly lengthy chapter. If you remember last week, we looked at uh, the introduction of Elijah. Elijah the prophet, a very notable prophet. And at the same time as Elijah came on the scene, there was a wicked king from the northern ten tribes known as Ahab. And it says that uh, Ahab had done more evil in, in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And on top of that, if that wasn't small enough, um, he took to his uh, as wife a daughter of Ethbaal, uh, the king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him and even set up altars for Baal. And it was around this time that Elijah came on the scene. And remember, whenever a prophet comes into a, a town, it's usually not a good thing. He, he's, he's coming because he's warning, he's going to bring warning, or he's going to bring news of judgment unless there is repentance and, and so whenever you see a prophet come into town, um, you might want to get on your knees automatically and start confessing uh, to even stuff you've never done. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Um, but it's important. And Elijah is going to prove himself to be faithful to the Lord. And we're going to see him go through, between now and uh, several chapters, we're going to see Ahab and Elijah and Elisha. We're going to see their ministries and how God used this man and his protege, Elisha. In, in such wonderful ways, at a time when Israel was completely absorbed in her sins, completely absorbed into idolatry, and specifically Baal worship. And Baal worship, Baal was a, a Canaanite god, and the, the male part of him is Baal, and his female cohort uh, would be Asherah, who was the female counterpart to, um, to Baal. And they were the goddess and the God of not only the, the land and the sky and the storms and rain, but also the God and goddess of fertility. And so tonight we're going to be seeing Elisha, Elijah, I'm sorry, really squaring off with not only Ahab, because Ahab was seeking to kill Elijah. Because remember in chapter 17, upon hearing of all of these things and God sharing with Elijah, he says, go and, and tell the king that there's going to be a drought until, until you say so, Elijah. Until I give you word again, there is going to be a drought in the land. And if you have been to Israel or have been over to the Middle East or the Near East at, at any time, you know that it's a very dry and arid place to begin with at certain times of the year. And so to have a drought in this this time and in this area, it becomes especially troublesome because now the animals, the livestock, the, you know, the, the grass begins to die and those things that the cattle and the livestock need and the brooks dry up. And so it creates a real problem for the people. And remember, God did something really unusual in the fact that he, after he pronounced, made this pronouncement of judgment really against the land to Ahab, that God told him to go to the brook Cherith, which is on the, on the east side of the Jordan River. Remember Samaria, the, the capital of the northern ten tribes, the, the capital was Samaria. So um, Elijah tells, uh, from your vantage point looking at me, Elijah tells Ahab in Samaria this prophecy this judgment, if you will, to get their attention. And so immediately afterward, God tells them to go across, east, across the Jordan River, into this place called the Brook Cherith. And there, God does something really unusual. He feeds this godly prophet by an unclean bird. An unclean bird, Levitically, because we know that eagles and ravens and birds of prey that eat carrion uh, and eat blood, um, they were considered to be unclean animals. They weren't to eat those things, but God uses, and, and notice how God, is, his hand is not short. You know, he, he doesn't, um, just because the bird is unclean, God is going to use this bird, this raven, or ravens, actually, to come and feed Elijah bread and, 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 and meat. 
And, um, and, then, and then after the brook dries up after some time, he's probably been there for some time, the brook finally dries up, and then God tells him to go to Sidon, which is now going north from uh, over this area on the east side of the Jordan. Go, he's going to go up up over the uh, Sea of Galilee, up into the area that you and I would call Phoenicia, or today would be Lebanon. And he would minister, or be ministered to and taken care of by a woman from Zarephath, from Sidon, a, a, a Gentile woman in a very pagan land, and God was going to use this Gentile woman to take care of Elijah. And it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Why couldn't have God sent Elijah to one of the believing women in, 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 uh, in Israel? Well, he probably looked and couldn't find any. <laughs> and so he sends, and this is a great indictment. In fact, Jesus uh, says this later in his gospel, and we'll look at this later. You know, he Instead of to the, the people of Israel, God's got to send his prophet to a, a land that is filled with idolatry, to a woman whom the Jews would consider unclean because she is a Gentile. But God would use Elijah there to minister to this woman and to her son, who in the time that he was there, he became sick and died, and Elijah prayed for him, and the, the young child was restored to life. But look at with me, we're going to read through uh, chapter 18. It's a fairly lengthy chapter, but I want to do that to kind of uh, get the, the context of this passage. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 18, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, notice in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and he fed them with bread and water." And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses, the horses and the mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him, and he fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him and said, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. And so he said, how, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when he said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that he would not find you or that he could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, and, and, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. And then Elijah said to him, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. And so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. 
So Ahab sent for the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? Is the Lord, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. And then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bowls, and let them choose one bowl for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord Jehovah. And the God who answers with fire, he is God. And so all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And so they took the bull, which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so they cried aloud, and they cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, But notice, there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. And so all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And so the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And so they seized them, and brought. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. And then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain And so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And then he bowed bowed himself on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. And then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And so he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a a heavy rain. And so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, this is such an amazing chapter, isn't it? I mean, it's one that we've heard in in Sunday school when we were kids, and it's such an iconic uh, chapter. And really what we see here is a battle between God and the devil, (laughs) and ultimately that God has jurisdiction. Can I get an amen? Amen. 
God has jurisdiction. Yes, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And yes, for now, for a season, he is the ruler of this world. But we also know Psalm 24, where it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein. In fact, the heavens are yours, the earth's also yours, the world and all of its fullness. The universe actually is his too. He made it. He spoke it all into existence. The heavens declare the glory of God. He knows the stars by name. He can count every one of them if he so chose and give us a name for each one of them. And he would be delighted to do so. But unfortunately, it'll take eternity for us to hear it. So we see a battle between good and evil. And remember this, brothers and sisters. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Although the enemy seems strong and formidable and like a tank going toward a little mouse... And we are like that little mouse right now. And we feel sometimes, don't we, overwhelmed by the the wickedness in the world. And it's so easy to get despondent. It's so easy to lack faith or to to get discouraged. Anybody here discouraged? I'm going to raise my hand. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to act like some super saint because I am not. I get discouraged. and And it happens quite often, to be honest with you. But we don't need to fear. It's very natural. It's very human, unfortunately, for us to feel that way. But we must remember in the times that we live, and when we see evil seemingly overtake our land, that God is in control. We have read the end of the book. Do you believe what's happening at the end of the book? Remember when we took a year and two months going through the book of Revelation and how we, we looked at how the things going through, when we were right in the middle of COVID, how all of these things were lining up, all of these major doctrinal things are lining up exactly the way the Bible told us they would. Either God is in control or he is not. And we are just in this, it's all just chance and we're just left to the wind. But I, I, I beg to differ. Because Jesus made a point to make sure that we knew ahead of time. Because, again, he's the good shepherd. And he goes before us. And he tells us these things to settle our hearts. And see, the the world around us, they don't know that. And so they're very uptight. They're very scared. And they don't know what to do with themselves. That's why crime and drug abuse and alcoholism and everything under the sun is ramping up. Because there's no hope in America. The only hope for America is Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. There's no other hope. Even if a Republican president was to get into office, the only hope still is Jesus Christ. We must remember that. It's a battle between good and evil, and we see it on full display here in this chapter. Let's go back to verse 1 now. Notice it says, and it came to pass after many days. And notice, even in the third year, after many days, yes, in the third year. And what is this a reference to? Because in uh, the previous chapter, in chapter 17, it gives us this time frame. Because remember, it says in in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, it says at the end of that verse, that there shall be no rain or do these years, these years, except at my word. And because God, Elijah's word was God's word. He didn't take, you know, it was God's word and he was just the messenger. But notice, these years, except at my word. So now we're three and a half years have passed. Elijah has been by the brook Cherith. The brook dried up. He's been to the widow at Zarephath up in Sidon. And now... He goes, God, after the end of that three and a half years, God tells him to go back down and talk to Ahab again. And that's where we are right now. And yes, according, according to Jesus, it was three and a half years. You might want to make a reference in your Bible to Luke chapter 4. You don't have to go there, but just write this reference in your Bible. Luke chapter 4, verse, beginning in verse 25 through 27. And let me just read it to you because Jesus tells us. It wasn't three years, it was three and a half years. Because Jesus, uh, speaking at the synagogue in Nazareth, where they had rejected him, remember he opened up to Psalm 60, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 61, the, 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 
the hand of the Lord is upon me and has given, you know, and I, I preach good tidings and all that. And at the end of that, remember what he said? It says, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And the Jews lost their mind. They grabbed Jesus. They took him out to the brow of the cliff of, of Nazareth. And they were going to throw him off the cliff and stone him. But he somehow was able to get out from among them. Probably they were arguing so much. He's just like, okay, I'm leaving. And then he left. But... But notice, during that time, he says, I tell you the truth, and he, he references this, what we just read in, verse seven, or in chapter 17. He says, but I tell you truly, many widows, and this is part of the, the thing that got him in trouble with the Jews while he was there as well, in, in, in the synagogue at Nazareth. He said, but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. There it is. And there was a great famine throughout the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And we'll read about that later. And the Lord speaks to uh, Elijah now to go and to speak to Ahab. And so Elijah went to present himself, we know that. And it says in verse 3 that Ahab had a servant by the name of Obadiah. His name means servant of Jehovah. And notice what it says in verse 3, that he feared the Lord greatly. He feared Jehovah greatly. And it makes you wonder, doesn't it, what is a man like Obadiah doing in the palace of, uh, of this wicked, wicked king? And his wife, Jezebel. I mean, what, what is he doing? But you know what I find interesting is that God sometimes, he, he, he has his servants right where he wants them as a way of making them accountable and hopefully being an example before them. It's important for us to do that in our wicked world that we live in too. Not to be a part of it, but to, to be an example, right? God wants us to be an example. He wants us to be an ambassador for him. And it's easy to be an ambassador when you're in, in church where everything is great, but it's not so easy when we go out into the world in the workplace or back home where there is just this constant strife. It's harder to do it there, isn't it? And yet that's where God calls us oftentimes, to be in the middle of the storm, to be a witness. And don't confuse this Obadiah. Don't confuse him with the minor prophet named Obadiah. Two different men. Obadiah, his prophecy is in the Bible. But it must have been really difficult for this man to continue and serve and, and to live and be a steward over the house of Ahab and Jezebel. And history court records for us that there were other great men of God in history as well that endured similar circumstances. Think of Joseph in the court of, of uh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh wasn't a godly man, and yet Joseph was an exemplary character. And God was blessing Egypt because of that man. Not because of Pharaoh. Pharaoh thought he was all that, and God's going, uh, no, it's because of the number two guy. I'm blessing this land because of him, not because of you. So sit down and put your dunce hat back on. No, and what about Daniel in Babylon? And Daniel under the Medes and the Persians. Think about the influence that that godly man had on, on Nebuchadnezzar, this this evil, wicked man, this pagan idolater. And yet we believe that Nebuchadnezzar is in glory as a result of Daniel's witness and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Babylonian names. So it's not uncommon. And so here's this man, Obadiah, it says, For so it was that while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took 100 prophets and he hid them, 50 to a cave. And we first heard of, of Jezebel um, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 16, and it tells us that it had been a, a trivial thing for Ahab to continue in his idolatry that he marries this evil woman. And she was, and she ruled uh, over, really, her husband. And we're going to see that as we go through these chapters in First Kings, that she wasn't a submissive wife like a, a wife should be, submissive to her husband, and the husband should treat his wife as, as Christ does the church, and that means self-denial and self-sacrifice, and there's a lot of 
things in there, but a wife is to be submitted to her husband, and the man is to be the head, and the woman is not to be the head in the home. It doesn't mean that she's not capable. It doesn't mean that she's not smart enough. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's all about God's order. He created Adam first and then Eve. Woman literally means out of man. So there's an order here that God has established long in the scripture, and that is still true for today. But Jezebel was the one who usurped that authority over her husband, often using his signet ring to do things uh, either unbeknownst to him or with his authority, but he didn't have the guts to do it himself, and so he lets his wife do it. But either way, this is an evil woman. And notice that um, Obadiah, his faithfulness to God and his people, notice also that he made sure that these men of God had water and bread to eat, yes, during a famine, because when the wheat is not growing, you can't have bread. So somehow he found enough bread to feed these men. I'm sure they didn't, maybe they didn't get it every day. Maybe they got it only once every three days or something like that. But this faithful man, Obadiah, comes and he gives to these great men of God food and water. Living in a king's palace who's filled with idolatry and everything unclean. One of the worst kings in Israel's history. And he hides them in caves, 50 to a cave. And if you come to Israel with us next year, you'll understand that when he, he put them in caves of 50, there are caves everywhere. When you go down the Jordan Valley, you can look on the side of the, of the mountains, and there are all kinds of caves. And when you get down to the Dead Sea, there are even more down there. And there are literally thousands of caves, thousands of caves. And, and there's so many things that have happened in those caves. David and his men down in, in, in Gedi, they, they hid uh, several hundred men as, they, as Saul was pursuing them. And, 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 and so there, there's lots of room in some of these caves. It's the caves that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947. There in Qumran, we visit that, that area when we go to Israel. Yes, I'm making shameful plugs for Israel. I'm just going to be honest about it. I am because I, I love the land. I love... Uh, as I'm reading this, I'm seeing all this in my head. And the Bible opens up to you. But notice, verse 5, it says, Ahab said to Obadiah, Now go into the land and you, you know, go in to look at all the streams and by all the brooks and perhaps we'll find grass to feed the cattle. And the reason they were going to these springs and brooks is because everything else had dried up. The only thing that would be left is any little bit of trickle water that's going down the middle of some stream, there might be something growing alongside that just has enough to survive. And so he would have him go and grab these, uh, these blades of grass to feed the cattle. And so they divided the land uh, between themselves. And I, I find it interesting that he would be out there by himself. It appears, anyway, that... Obadiah and Ahab, the king. Now, maybe Ahab had a guard around him of some men. We don't really know, but it appears that it's just him and this other man. Things have gotten so bad that they're out there doing this stuff. And so while Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah meets him. And notice the respect and the reverence that Obadiah had for Elijah. You know, when he, when he met him, his first inclination is to fall down flat on his face and, and say, is that you, my Lord Elijah? And obviously he wasn't worshiping Elijah, but he had a, a reverence for him. And he answered him and said, it is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. Now Elijah certainly knew that Ahab had sought to kill him. And it seemed that for three and a half years, God had been preparing Elijah for this square-off, this meeting with Ahab, and ultimately this face-off between the prophets of Baal. God had preparatory things to do in the life of Elijah. And you know, God does prepare his servants for ministries that he calls them to. And you remember that even Moses had 40 years in the backside of the desert after he had already spent 40 years in Egypt learning all the languages and going to all the finest schools, getting all the Ivy League accolades and walking out with all those doctorate degrees and, you know, the smiles and the, all of that stuff. And then God had to take him out into the desert where he literally forgot about all of that. And God, during that 40 years, was preparing him so that around 80 years of age, he goes back and he delivers his people and takes them another 40 years through the desert. Now he's 120 years old. 
And God prepared him for 40 years. And God prepares us too. Maybe he's preparing you for something that you're not even aware of yet. Maybe he has been preparing something for you and you haven't uh, understood what it is yet. But um, that's what God does. I, I, I know that my time here with Pastor Jeff and serving in the worship ministry for 23 years before he left, I had no idea that I was being prepared. But I look back now and I'm like, Lord, you prepared me. And I, had, I was completely oblivious to it. Completely oblivious. And I, and I think that's probably a good thing. <laughs> because I love it when God does stuff and you're completely unaware. Because then when it finally happens, you, you, can't, you can't try to improve on it. You just walk with him. You simply walk with him. You, you're just, you walk with him. It's that simple. But notice here that God had given Elijah grace and faith to speak truth to that authority, to speak truth to power. And this is something that we are to do as well, to speak truth to power. But we need to do it with respect according to the Spirit of God, remembering who it is that we represent. When we speak truth to power, we don't swear and get all angry and mad and start throwing things and throwing tantrums. No, we can speak truth to power by speaking the truth. And yes, it is confrontive. The truth is confronted. It's supposed to be. But we can speak truth and we can do it in such a way where it's not deriding, it's not abasing somebody, it's not, um, uh, you know, we can speak truth and just speak the truth. And the truth itself will do the effect, but we must speak the truth because whatever whatever makes manifest light is truth. Isn't that what the Bible says in the Gospel of John? Whatever makes manifest is light. In other words, whatever uncovers anything that's in darkness, that's light. And God has called us to be light and salt. And light exposes. But we have to be careful how we do that. Always being mindful of the beam in our own eye as we go forward. But to be able to speak boldly, but kindly and respectfully to that power whoever it is, to our governor of this state. If we had an opportunity to speak to her, we, we'd better do it with respect, but to speak the truth and love. And we don't need to raise our voice and stamp our feet and cut ourselves. We can be honest and direct and kind, even though the truth is going to cut very deep. And I believe that's what Elijah did with Ahab and so now Obadiah says, Elijah, how have I sinned? Are you going to deli- deliver me into the hand of Ahab to kill me? And he says, that there is no nation or kingdom where Ahab has not sent someone to hunt for you. In other words, Ahab uh, had put out a contract on Elijah's head. Yes, this is like a modern-day Chicago back in the time of Prohibition with the, with the mafia. And really no different here. Really no different. A contract was out on his head. And he says, now you tell me, go tell your master, Elijah's here. And it shall come to pass, he said, as soon as I am gone from you, that the spirit of the Lord is going to carry you to a place I do not know. And it's kind of interesting. Well, let me finish the verse. He says, so when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he's going to kill me then. But I, the Lord, I, your servant, excuse me, have feared the Lord from my youth. And a couple of things for us to look at here. Number one is, There was evidently some understanding that God was going to take Elijah in some kind of supernatural way. And that evidently had been spread abroad. You know, maybe from the school of the prophets that Elijah had. We don't really know. There was something going on about God was going to take this man at a certain time. And they were all curious of when that might be. And so there was this rumor floating around that that was going to happen. And so Obadiah is saying... Can you chain yourself to this terebinth tree? (laughs) Can you chain yourself here? Because I don't want you to go anywhere. Of course, if God's going to take you, he'll take the tree with it. And also notice that this man, Obadiah, had a great reverence uh, of the Lord from his youth. From his youth. Yes, since he was a little boy, this young man had a reverence for God. And it's important, isn't it, that we train and bring up our kids in a godly way. What does the scripture tell us? It tells us in Proverbs 22, verse 6. We know this. 
Train up a child in the way he would go, should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And now Obadiah is getting older, and he's not forgetting about the Lord. Daniel was a young man, a, a very, probably just barely a teenager, maybe, when he got led captive into Babylon. And what does this young man do? He has an exemplary character and refuses the king's meat. He refuses to bend to the pagan idolatry of Babylon, but rather he holds his relationship with God to such a great value that he's not willing to forfeit it. He's rather, he'd rather go into the, 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 the fiery furnace. He'd rather go into, uh, actually for him, it was the, the den of lions. He'd be willing, he's willing, rather, to do those things than to rebel against the Lord. And guess what? He didn't even have the Spirit of God indwelling him. <laughs> like you and I have. We're born again today because we have the Spirit of God in us. Think of that. I marvel at Daniel. What a great young man. But, you know, but young people, come to the Lord. Come to the one who truly loves you and is not fake or phony like all of your friends, many of your friends anyway. He's not phony. He's not fake. He only has the best for you. And we must remember that Jesus loves you. He loves you. And you are being ripped off by the devil. The devil is ripping you off like you've never seen before. And you think it's fun and games and that everybody's doing it. It's okay. It's no big deal. It's only a cultural thing. Well, let me tell you that the devil has a very, he's got control over the culture here in America, very much so. So dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be like this Obadiah. Even though he's in an ungodly place, an ungodly environment, he still holds fast to the word of God. He still holds fast to God. He holds fast to Jesus. He's like, like a young kid holding on to the father's leg as he's trying to walk through the house. A little, little guy has got his hand around his dad's leg and his dad is lifting him up and, and walking around the house with his son on his foot. Let's be like that to the Lord, shall we? I like that thought. And you know what? God's got pretty big feet. I think he can handle it. And so was it not reported uh, to my Lord what I did when, I, when, um, when Jezebel killed the prophets? And so here he begins to rehearse for Elijah uh, how he had prepared uh, bread and water and hid these hundred prophets into two different caves of 50. And then notice what it says in verse 15. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. Underline that. The Lord, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely or present myself to him, to Ahab today. I love this. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. Notice the authority that Elijah stood before as he, opposed to, as he was opposed to Ahab. There's no comparison. He, he stands before God. He doesn't stand before King Ahab. I think one is more important than the other. Maybe just a little bit, don't you think? God Almighty versus this ungodly man. And then notice, I will surely present myself to him today. Notice the confidence that Elijah has as he's going to meet Ahab that very day. And why does he have that confidence? Because God told him. If God tells you something... You, have, you can have all the confidence that you are going to be there. Because what does it say in, in the first verse here? God told him to Elijah, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So there is something important for us to glean here, and that is when God says he's going to do something, you can rest assured he's going to follow through with it. And he doesn't want you to do it tomorrow. If he told you to go see Ahab today, I think it means today. And Elijah knew that. So if God told him to meet Ahab, I'm not going anywhere because God wants me to be with him and to give this message. So he has every bit of confidence. And he certainly encouraged the confidence of Obadiah who's thinking, huh, he's going to be taken away from me and then I'm going to get killed. But no. Again, trust the Lord and he will direct your steps. He will keep you safe if he has told you, don't be afraid to step out in faith. Don't be afraid to step out in faith. What does the Bible tell us in Hebrews 11, verse 6? But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. In other words, he who comes to God has to believe that he is who he says he is. That he is God Almighty. 
If I believe that, happy am I. (laughs) He who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those, what? Who diligently seek him. That means it requires diligence. I can't just kind of do it lazily. No, i got to pursue him. We need to pursue God, pursue him, and yes, pray. But there's a time that you have to step out of the boat and walk on the water. There are times in my life where I was presented with an opportunity, you know, that the Lord had, had given me, and that he'd given me strength to step out, and, but, but I needed to step out. I needed to go through with it. I couldn't just do it in my mind, intellectually. No, I had to do it. And the, things, the thing that's true is you may not see and experience great things that God does until you do step out in faith. If you find that your life is kind of boring and you're wondering where the power of God is, maybe you haven't stepped out in faith in quite a long time. Because I can guarantee you when you do, when, you're, when you step out in real faith and God does something, you're going to be totally floored. And I know that he's done that in my life, and I know he's done it in your lives too. But there's an exhilaration when you are at the end. I remember going in before when the Lord called me into the ministry here at the church back in 2002, um, you know, just to be, to be at the church here full time, and I had to go in and talk to my boss. And I went into him after having this great, so far, this really great career at Xerox, I had a great, you know, it was a good company to work for at the time. And I had to walk into his office, and he thought that I came there for a raise. And so, because that's what everybody does. If, if you make an appointment with your boss, it's because you want more money. So he sits down, and he, uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let me just say this. When you step out like that, and you've got, and, and you put it all on the line, and you see what God does, because I left that day, and I was scared to death because I just kind of put a terminus to my career, and I'm like, Lord, I'm going to go after you. I'm going to follow and do what you want me to do. And it was scary. I remember pulling off alongside the road there on Jefferson Road right before I got on the exit to to 390, and I I, I was overwhelmed. And I pulled over, and I wept like a child. (laughs) Because I was scared to death. I'm like, Lord, what did I do? And he was assuring me and encouraging me. And I had this wonderful, crazy fear and yet love at the same time. It was the craziest thing I've ever experienced. But I knew he was with me, and that was all I needed. But a pool of tears. Because I was scared to death and yet exhilarated at the same time. I have no idea. That was amazing. But notice in verse 17, and, and so um, Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And then finally in verse 17, it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? <laughs> Ahab had become so poisoned by his own idolatry and by his wife's influence and her idolatry, so much so that when he saw Elijah... He saw Elijah as the barrier and the one who was troubling Israel, when in reality, it was he that was troubling Israel. And see, Satan loves to convince unbelievers that they are doing a great thing, even doing a great thing for humanity. But in actuality, they are serving Satan and his selfish, wicked deeds. You know, we see that right now with the abortion issue, don't we? People crying out, my body, my choice. It's health care, it's health care, it's health care. They keep pounding on that, and they can do that all they want. Just like the prophets of Baal are up there on the altar that we've already read, and they're cutting themselves, trying to get an answer from their God. And God, God, Jehovah, he's like, everybody be silent because, and he's got control over all the demons. He can, he can hush them up. <laughs> health care, health care, health care. It's, it's my body, my choice. And he's, he's very happy, Satan is. He's blinded so many, just as he did Ahab. Blinding them. I would encourage you to read the first uh, Romans chapter 1. We don't have time to go there tonight, but look at Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 to the end of that chapter. And you put it into context where we're at here, and it'll, it says a lot. And it speaks clearly to us today. And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. In fact, that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, everything that he said here is true. 
It was truthful. He was speaking truth to this authority. Don't ever think that God doesn't want you to speak truth to authority. You have to do it in the right way, and you have to do it respectfully. But how are they going to be held accountable? What, what did he use the prophets for? To speak truth to authority. And so we need to do the same, to be respectful. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to go up there with a fake smile, but we need to have control of ourselves. Proverbs tell us, tells us that a soft answer turns away wrath. Sometimes that, that, that's the way to do it. Sometimes it is a soft answer that turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. And, and sometimes there's no way around what you're saying. It's going to provoke somebody. And if you do it in love and if you do it with the right heart, it can come across. And, and regardless of how you present that truth, you may still get the business on the other side. But we need to do our best to present it well and with the authority of Christ in our life and how we do it, how we do it. It's not enough to know what to speak, but also when to speak. That is something that we need to be walking in the Spirit to accomplish. And so pray for your own life, right? That we would walk in such a way and understand what to say, how to say it, when to say it. All of these things are critical. What to say, when to say it, and how to say it. Because I can have the right things to say, but if I say it in a wrong way, it can provoke a, a certain response. And yet, I can, if I do these things right and I really bathe it in prayer whenever I have to do something like this, I need to be thinking. I need to be led by the Spirit at the moment and let Christ be the one using me. And then if they get mad, that's their problem. Because that may happen. And you may not have done anything wrong. But I know this, if my flesh is involved and I'm really giving them the business and I'm pointing the finger and I'm yelling and screaming, I'm probably going to get the business right back. Anybody recognize that? Happened to anybody? Yes, it has. Now notice verse 19. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel, Elijah tells to Ahab, to Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, this Mount Carmel is up in the area on the uh, coast of Israel, uh, directly west of the Sea of Galilee. And this is one of the places we go when we go to Israel as well. And the Kishon River is right there. Um, it's dried up today, but that's where the, the location that Elijah killed these prophets and so Ahab, verse 20, sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If Lord is God, if Jehovah is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. In other words, make up your mind. See, God always gives us a choice to follow him or to follow our own heart. And often if we follow our own heart, it will lead us astray. What does the Bible tell us in Jeremiah 17, verse 9? It's the one that we know so well. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it? And then God, in the same passage, the very next verse in Jeremiah 17, he answers, who can know this wicked heart of mine? And God says, I do. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, notice, according to the fruit of his doings. But God always gives us an opportunity to choose. And isn't that what love is? If I don't have a choice, then it's not love. If I tell my wife or whatever, you must do this, then I'm not really honoring her, am I? I'm not loving her. I'm overlording it on her. I'm manipulating her. I'm making her do something. God doesn't want us to do that. But God, speaking, to, uh, speaking concerning Judah in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be whiter as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. And notice in verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, notice the conditional response, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the, the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. There's a choice, isn't there? Is it going to be Baal, Baal or is it going to be Jehovah? You guys have got to make up your mind. Now is the time to make up your mind. 
God would say in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, and God tells us, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And he, he tells us the right answer. Make the right answer. Do the right thing. Choose him because he knows all things. He created all things and he knows all things. I want to know the mind of God because if he's created all things and he knows all things, I want to know him. I want to leg up in this world. And do you know, Christian, as you know and, and study the word of God, you have a leg up on everybody else in the entire world. You know about Jesus. You know what's coming. You know what's happening. You're not confounded like everybody else. Verse 22, it says, Elijah said to the people, I'm, I, I'm, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. And, and that may or may not be true. We know that there's a hundred prophets that were uh, taken into those uh, caves. And, and the Lord would say later on, I've got 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He will, he'll say that to them in the next chapter. And so, remember, they, give, they take two bulls, and one bull, they, they, they build the altar, and they don't put any fire underneath it. And then Elijah, and, and so they're, they're calling on their, the name of their gods. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it. And so they did. But notice in verse 26, and here they are calling upon Baal, trying to provoke him to do something, and there was no voice, and no one answered. No one answered. Now this is a direct confrontation between God and Baal because they claim that Baal was the god of the storm, the god of the, the rain, the god of fertility. And they're claiming that he is controlling this drought. But God is saying, no, I'm the one who spoke and caused the drought to occur. And when I'm ready, that's when it's going to end and that's exactly what happens. And here they would serve this Baal, this man. I love what it says in Psalm 115. It's speaking of idols. Uh, the author says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes they have, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses they have, but they do not spell. They do not smell, excuse me. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Neither do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in him. But I love this. God says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye who fear the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. I love that. What a wonderful contrast between the gods of this age and God, Jesus Christ. Our great Father in heaven and his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And so at noon, they, you know, they're still crying and trying to get on their thing, and Elijah begins to mock at them. You know, I, I kind of often think, you know, if he's in a hammock, you know, with a toothpick, you know, picking his teeth and going, hey, maybe your God is busy. Maybe he's on a journey somewhere. You might want to text him. I think, you know, maybe he's got his notifications turned off. You know, send him an, another text message. He's not listening. And so they cried aloud, and now to even show more of their devotion to their false god, they begin to cut themselves, which is their custom, with lances and knives, and the blood is gushing out. And just think of how ridiculous this is. And yet that's what people do today. To prove that their god is who they are, they gotta, they got to pick it. they got to go out and, and prove to, to their god that they are devoted. they got to throw Molotov cocktails into businesses to prove to their god that their devotion is to him, to the God of abortion. <laughs> yeah. It's what it is. Same spirit. Same spirit. See, false gods require you to do everything for them and sacrifice yourself for them. But Jesus, notice, he did everything for us and he died for us and paid the penalty. He did everything. We just had to believe and trust in him. So in verse 29 it says, So when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering. There was no answer, no voice, no one paid attention. Oh, hum. <laughs> I love it. 
I love it. And then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And so they all came near and he repaired the altar. And notice what he does now. He takes 12 stones, he builds his own altar, and then he puts the, um, the bull and the pieces of wood on it. And then he fills water pots. And this is something that he didn't do. They didn't do for the prophets of Baal. Now he takes water and just soaks that thing, saturates the whole altar, the sacrifice. He, he makes it so incredibly ridiculous. So there's no way that somebody can say, well, there was a little piece of glass underneath the altar and the sun hit it just right because it's, it's more at night now, so they don't have that excuse anyway. But maybe somebody you know, took their big lighter and threw it in. You know, maybe, you know, so there's no possibility for this thing to be consumed other than God doing it. So he says, do it the first time, do it the second time, do it the third time. And I, I love that. The three times it speaks of unity. He did this three times, filling the water. So the water ran all around the altar, and it came to pass at the evening uh, of the evening sacrifice that uh, Elijah says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Notice not Jacob. (laughs) Not Jacob, the dirty, sneaky thief. No, Israel, the one governed by God. Just the name change automatically changes the tenor of the passage, doesn't it? You're the God of all these men these brothers from old, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I've done all these things. Notice that Elijah is giving God the glory. He's not touching the glory at all. And that's something that we ought to do as well, is to not touch the glory that belongs to God. It belongs to him, him and him alone. We dare not touch it. But he says, hear me, O God, that this people may know that you are Jehovah God and that you have turned their backs. And then the fire came down. And it doesn't matter if it was a pool of water. It could have been an Olympic-sized swimming pool with the calf or the, 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 the sacrifice floating in the center of the deep end of the pool. It doesn't matter. It could have been the Sea of Galilee. And he could have licked up all the water in just one big bolt. <laughs> And notice God just takes the whole thing, nothing but dry earth left. And what do they do? They all fall on their faces. Now whose God is the king of the hill? Jehovah. Not Baal, the God of the storm, the God of fertility, the God of the the rain and such like that. Now who's the man? Who's the one on the hill? Who's the master of all? What is his name? Yes, Jehovah. He is the one. And they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And so they seized these prophets. Elijah brings them right down to the brook Kishon. And he executes them there, yes. And so finally, this this. This battle between God and the devil, God wins. He always wins. You can always look at the end of the book and you'll find that God wins. And do that tonight. Read the last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation. Guess what? God wins. And you win because you're associated with him. Yes. Don't you, aren't you excited about that? You win just by being associated with him. I love that. You may be going through it right now, but guess what? There's coming a time, folks, when all of those tears, all of those heartaches are just going to be, we're going to even forget that it even happened. It's going to be like a distant memory when we're in his presence. And that's the truth of our eternity. Let your heart be carried away with that thought. It's a wonderful thought. And it's true. It's more true than the chair that you're sitting on. The reality of the chair that you are seated in tonight that, what I just share with you is more true and more real than the thing that you're sitting on, that you're, by faith, you're sitting in and it doesn't collapse underneath you. It's more sure than even that. Be encouraged in your God. And notice, to finish up these last couple of verses, it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. I really wonder about this. You almost get the sense that Elijah, you know, he wasn't talking to Ahab disrespectfully, was he? He's saying, hey, you better, you're going to need to eat because the rain is coming. And notice, 
Uh, go up and eat and drink. Go up higher into the mountain, eat and drink, because there's going to be a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up and he ate and drank. And Elijah went down to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed down to the ground. He put his face between his knees and, his ser- and he said to his servant, now go over and look toward the sea. And when you're up on that area where many believe that this happened, this event occurred, you can actually see the Mediterranean Sea on top of Mount Carmel. You can look over to the west and you can see the Mediterranean Sea on a clear day. You can see it. And so that's what a servant does. And I've stood up there and I've looked and I've seen the Mediterranean Sea. And so he tells his servant, go, go and look. He comes back. No, don't see anything. We'll go back again. And all the time, Elijah's praying. And notice, seven times, the number of perfection Finally, he comes back and says, you know what? I think I see something. Looks like the, the small of a man's hand rising up from the sea. And he said, go up and tell Ahab, you better prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And what grace? Notice the grace of that. If I were Elijah, I would say, you know what? Let him get stuck in the rain with his chariot. Let's, let's get out of here. But notice how God's kindness, even toward Ahab, and God gives to Elijah, yes, even this kindness against this very evil man. And see, no one will be able to stand before God and say, you know, I never experienced your kindness. I never experienced your grace. And, and, and Ahab will have nothing to say when he stands before God. And Elijah knew that. He had it in his heart to treat Ahab with respect. And he, he told him the truth, and it was a hard truth. But he also was respectful and kind to him and wanted to make sure that he got out of there because not too far away from that is Jezreel. And that's where Herod, or I'm sorry, Ahab had one of his uh, summer homes or whatever nearby. And he says, you better get across that valley because that valley is the Valley of Armageddon, by the way. When you're up on top of that Mount Carmel, you look out and you see the valley of Armageddon. Har-Megiddo, they call it. It's near Megiddo, where Josiah died, where this battle that is yet coming on the earth in Revelation, you see the battlefield, and it's incredible. As you're standing there looking down upon the valley of Armageddon, you see Israeli F-14s and the Israeli Air Force flying overhead and flying down into the middle of the field and landing and disappearing <laughs> they land and they they bring them down underneath and they park the planes underneath the ground and who knows how many hundreds of planes are underneath there but it's like a hornet's nest i like that too because if anything happens you see them coming out like little hornets and the planes come out and then you'd better be very afraid be very afraid so he says, go up and tell Ahab, you better prepare your chariot and get back home because when the rain comes, it's going to get awfully muddy in the, in the valley there. And so he does that. And I just, I love the grace of this. And we're going to see God being gracious with Ahab, this really, really, really ungodly man. We're going to see it in chapter 21, how God's grace just, and, and it does, it causes Ahab for a, a time. And we don't know what happened to him ultimately as far as whether... But, you know, God gave him opportunities, and he broke at one time. And we'll see that. But it says, Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was heavy rain. And so Ahab rode away, went to Jezreel. And then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and notice, he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And that was just a supernatural thing, too. And when it says he girded up his loins, all it really means is, is men in those days would wear an outer garment and an undergarment and then an outer garment. And they would have to pick that up and kind of tie it in a knot or hold it and run. Because you can't run when you got that around your legs. So they would take those things and they'd, they'd bunch them up around their, their knees or just hold them like that into their hands and they would run and they could actually run. But God gives him this grace to, to do this. But I, I love this chapter and just seeing the, the great grace of God and the battle between good and evil. And never forget this, folks, is that God wins. He wins. And we live in a land right now that's filled with idolatry. We're living in similar, perhaps similar circumstances. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid to speak truth to power. But when you do, make sure you have the heart of God in doing it. 
That's something that, you know, if you've got to, like me, I get frustrated, I'll be honest with you, and I hear about things that are happening, and I get really angry inside, and I have to take that to the Lord, and I have to get out all of that privately in my own house and in my own prayer closet so that when I'm actually in front of people, God has dealt with me on that, and I can be civil, I can be kind and respectful, and that's the name of the game. People need to see us that way. Anybody can be angry, but when we can speak boldly, but truthfully and respectfully, that is amazing. That's the kind of thing that the world needs to see is Christians with conviction. Do we have the conviction of God? Do we know what's true, what's not true? Are we able, are we willing to stand up to that lovingly in a godly way to be coherent Write it down if you have to, rehearse it, and and pray over it, and then go and share your thing and do it with love. Even though the words themselves are going to be cutting like a knife. Isn't that amazing how somebody can tell you? I've had people do this to me, and they've mastered this, or they've done a really good job. They can just speak to me like I'm speaking to you. You know, Rob, you really are. you got a lot of issues. They can, they can speak so softly to me and they can just cut my heart out. But they're doing, they really love me and I know that because of the way they're speaking to me. I look in their eyes and I can tell that they're not just doing it because they're frustrated and angry with me. No, they've spent time at the throne and now they're coming to tell me something hard and they do it and they do it in such a way where it just... I'm left there standing with my mouth open and my heart broken and God had his way. See, that's what Elijah did. I believe he did that. Even though he said, no, but you're the one, you're the troubler of Israel. He didn't yell. He didn't get out a megaphone and scream at him and throw stuff at him. He just spoke the truth in love. And we're going to see later on in chapter 21 how this, this demeanor that God's prophet had with this man, how it starts to change him a little bit. Don't know exactly... We'll find out how that all ends, but, um, but be encouraged. Be encouraged. Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this, um, this passage. It just confirms to us again, Lord, that you are sovereign. You're the one who wins this battle. Lord, we've read the end of the book, and we know the truth. And Lord, help us to build our lives upon your word, to build our lives upon the truth of, of who you are and what you've already accomplished and what you're already, what you're going to accomplish. And we know it for sure. We have an assurance of it, Lord, because you have told us in advance. And Lord, help us to live our lives in that confidence regardless of what we see. And Lord, temper our spirit that when we do speak truth to power, Lord, that we do it in such a way as to honor you and that we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, have your way with us. Cleanse us and heal us, Lord, from all of these things. May we glorify you today and tomorrow and all the rest of this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.